Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see that the recording equipment gets closer and closer to our faces every episode. Soon it'll be in our mouths and then on the other side, it should be slowly (laughs) passing through. We'll be in the microphone speaking internally out from into Lovely. Rather than the little headsets, you just have one inside your mouth, like a tooth implant. We, when we did that podcast with um, Chris Brown on his podcast, we had... This was before he was done for doing the Rihanna stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back back in the day. Um, but he had the headphones, didn't he? He had a full... I mean, you you know more about what that is than me. I looked at it and I was like, this is cool. Whereas you I think the headphones is to give you... Headphones. It's to give you like immediate feedback, isn't it, as to how you, how you're sounding? But I I do find it quite funny every time, especially when you see people that have just like p- plugged in a set of like Apple earphones and doing a video, and you're like, well, you, all you're doing there is you've just got a bit of plastic in your ear. Yeah, yeah. I've never really th- I've never noticed that or thought about it before because I will often have headphones in to stop like the feedback from Zoom or whatever. Um, so there wasn't, we, we, was someone we, should, we out for that once, but we can't. There talk. is, yeah. We we should probably do something because we're we're not experts on audio, as you can probably tell from listening to our podcast. Like any decent audio that you hear is all down to Benny's magical work. It's it's not down to Johnny and I's competence with audio. We are um, not. Well, we create the audio. We make it, and then we we make the messy audio and send it to Benny, and then he cleans it up with a little sponge polishes it that's brilliant so um where were we going with that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) well so what i was going to say which i guess links onto the today's topic is that one of the so i suppose 2019 we'll have done uh especially with modern wisdom like once twice a month we'd have done two episodes in person um and a lot of that has had to stop. So I think pretty much every podcast that I see now is like a Zoom thing, a Zoom back and forth video, um, including a lot of Joe Rogan stuff. Like a lot of people who do, who have been doing in-person podcasts up to now, this year have had to migrate and use something like Zoom or use software to try and achieve the same thing, which is just never as good. It's never as good, but the collective acceptance for that has suddenly gone up because everyone knows there's no alternative. Um, and yeah. you do see like certain YouTubers doing collaborations in person. You, you think like, are they in some district where there's no restrictions or are they just being naughty? And But everyone just has learned to accept that this is the case. Like Matthew McConaughey was on 
um is it tim ferris or something yeah. like that yeah. yeah just on a little zoom call so uh, to start with um on this topic i've got two questions for you um one is it rude to fart when someone is crying oh. during a family dinner <laughs> yes well, it's not rude, it's inconsiderate. It's inconsiderate. So somebody's uh, description for this was, my family was having a reunion, and we had a big dinner, I was sitting next to an aunt, and I've only talked to you like once in my whole life, and she was talking about how she had an abortion, she started crying, and it was really boring, and I had to fart, so I let one out, and it was nasty and smelt horrible, and I made someone laugh, and my aunt went hysterical, and my mum sent me to bed without dinner. Would this be considered rude? I don't understand. Yeah. Well, you've got to pick your moments, haven't you? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like the person did it as like a, as a protest almost to stop the situation. It's like, I don't yeah. like this. If I do this, then it's going to stop this situation and sort of change pace a little bit, which it did. But yeah, like if someone's crying, I think... Uh, you need to use your words and be yeah. compassionate. Like try and position it so that it, it doesn't make a noise. But so, I guess that, that doesn't... So I would actually say that you, you're better off. I mean, I know it's not one or the other, but it sounds like in this case it was a smelly one and that was the offensive part of it. I think better to do a loud one that's not smelly than just like a really eggy one because that's a true offence. The thing about that though is that there is no way that anybody can prove that it was you. Whereas with the noise, they can. Well, it, you can narrow it down, can't you? You can say like it came from that area. Whereas we can't see the smell diffusing. That's so true. You don't know where it originated from. One thing I hate is, let's say you're in a something like a yoga class or some situation like that, and like your foot squeaks on the floor, and it sounds like a fart, and then you try and replicate the sound and you can't. <laughs> yeah, you think, oh, I better make the sound again, so that people don't think it's... It's yeah. just, yeah, you're just not yeah, able oh, to. No, 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 I wasn't fighting, it was my foot, honestly. And then <laughs> it makes a completely different noise. But we won't be having in-person yoga classes for quite a while. Or have, maybe we will. Have there, been, have there been no in-person yoga classes that you've been to? In fairness, I had one just before lockdown. It's lovely. This, like, just this lockdown? They just space everyone apart a bit more, and they have little um, spray stuff in a box on your yoga mat. Okay. So, like, you sanitize your map before you use it or after you use it or whatever. Yeah, it, exactly. For some reason, it does feel very, like, I, I feel like if I was going to get something from anywhere, and that you can tell me whether this is wrong or not, if I was going to catch something somewhere, I immediately think of, like, a steam room. In yeah, a, in, I think steam rooms are pretty, they have closed steam rooms. They have saunas open, but there's, there's certain numbers, I think maximum numbers you can have. The gym that I train at, has a couple of guys who do BJJ quite a lot, blow job job, and they are just like obviously it, it, it's not a sport you can do as a dis at a distance, yeah. um, always just rolling around on each other. And on the one hand, it's like well, maybe they're from the same household, or maybe they're a bubble. And if you're in a bubble, you can you can do what you like, can't you? It's odd that they go to the gym to do it. If they're in a bubble or they're in the same household. Yeah. <laughs> like the thing, it's what we were talking about the other day uh, 
on one of the podcasts. I can't remember which podcast it was on. We'll be, we've just been on so many podcasts, haven't we? They'll all be coming out soon, hopefully, and we'll send everyone links um, of, us, of us being interviewed. But we were talking about the rules and the guidelines, like what you can do, what you can't do, and how there's this like adherence rate. So it's the same way that if I just said to a client, oh, calories are this, training volumes are this, go. And it was 100% adherence. Like the results would be exactly as you'd expect, like almost algorithmic, right. aside from the daily fluctuations in biology that you can't foresee. And like, it's the same thing for setting rules for this. Like if they just want to be able to turn things up and down, like, oh, case rates are going up or, or whatever, we need to put these things in place. And if everyone just, if there's 100% adherence, then we should see things. But there's like this, there's always a gap. And the gap I imagine is widening over time as people get more and more frustrated with it. And- well, the, this is the complexity that's introduced, isn't it? So if you if you give very reasonable, moderate guidelines from the beginning, there's a higher adherence rate. But if you give extreme ones, people start to defect more. They're more likely to. It's kind of like putting someone on keto versus like a, if it fits your macros kind of approach. Um, you well, might have seen... But in fact, you, blowout, aren't they? What's that? The person on keto is going to have a blowout. The person on if it fits your macros might like go over the macros a bit. And but, they'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and you, you'll have seen on Peep Show where Jez tries to like increase the heating and he turns it up by like 15 degrees and then back down again and mark's like you can't trick the boiler into heating the room up faster yeah because he wants to he wants to get it up by two degrees or something so he thinks well if i turn it up by 10 degrees then it'll get to two degrees quicker to be honest it doesn't matter how long i sit and think about that for i agree with him intuitively (laughs) i agree with him like it would make sense for a system to work in that way wouldn't it well, because if you told a person like you're right, you need to get up to thirty, they're like, okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's some urgency here. And then you go, oh, don't worry, it's done. And they go, oh. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, to suppose like this time round, for those people not listening, I guess what's happened in, for those people not listening, for those people listening not in the UK, what's happened in the UK with lockdown is, was it March? Things were closed, and they were closed for quite a while. Um, and then there was sort of gradients of 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 things being removed and rules being removed. And then more recently, about two and a half weeks ago, most stuff was shut again, aside from non-essentials, including gyms, which I guess is what's most relevant for this. But I think the first time it happened, it was so, it was so like, oh my God, like no one ever experienced that before. So I think most people kind of complied, especially initially. Um, certainly places like gyms and shops complied. Um, but this this time around, you've seen people hitting the media, especially some gym owners hitting the media because they're just like, nope, I'm not closing. Well, I, you know, we, we were going to get this guy on the podcast, a guy called Andreas, who works for Zone Gym or owns a Zone Gym in, in London. And he was just like, no, nah, I'm not closing. Mm. And just didn't. And he had like police parked up outside the front entrance, not letting people in. And people, he was like, look, the gym's open. If you can make it past the police... <laughs> You can come and train, like just however you need to get into the building, like come around the back, come over the railings. Um, and he just kept staying open, kept taking the fines on the chin. Um, and I think eventually he got hit with like a, I don't know, 60 grand fine or something. And yeah. was like, okay, I'm going to have to close now. It's all like, you, you, you don't know how much you, of the sort of what we see in like the news is true, I suppose, and how much is exaggerated. Like maybe he was threatened with that fine. Maybe he's actually been issued with that fine. It feels a little bit unreasonable because like, I don't think there are that many businesses that just have 65 grand 
spare? I think the fines were escalating. So the first one was a grand and he was like, it's fine. Mm. And then just kept going up. I, think, I mean, it would have just been fascinating to talk to him. I just think, like, that's a man who really believes in his cause. It's either a man who believes in his cause. I suppose there's three things. He's he's just an idiot. That's possible. He really believes in his cause, or he spotted some kind of media opportunity. Because here we are talking about him. Two months ago, we'd never heard of him and would have had no reason to ever hear of him, really. That's a good point. And then you can set up a GoFundMe and make more than the fine. So, so like prior to lockdown, the, you remember things were in tiers and some, some, I think in the top tier, gyms had to close. And there was a guy in Liverpool who was petitioning to have his gym stay open or have gym stay open. And I, I, I think I heard an interview with him. This may not be exactly right, but I think he was basically saying like, it is cheaper from a business perspective to pay the fine than to take the hit of closing the business. You think, and there's a, there's an economic concept for that. Like there's a word for that in economics where businesses pay the fine for like pollution. Um, they pay the pollution fine rather than changing their, their systems to reduce the pollution. And it's, I can't remember what it's called, but it's an, it's an interesting like place to be as a business owner. When someone's saying, I'm going to fine you a grand and you look at it, and you think, well, like lost memberships, cost of closing everything down, cost, cost of like getting rid of staff and having to set things back up again. Five grand. It's a very good point. There's a lot of places where like, it's cheaper to never buy a parking ticket yeah. and just take the fines when they when they come to you. Problem is, I th- I once rode the metro. So I've never not bought a ticket on the metro, apart from once in my life, because I didn't have the change or the machine wasn't accepting my particular 50 pence piece or whatever. And so I just took the took the metro one tube, one stop, and got fined. And I was looking back thinking, like, this couldn't have been the worst. It couldn't have been a better... Uh, couldn't be worse couldn't be worse <laughs> such a like i should have just walked it was a 10 minute walk anyway um there's the guys who wrote freakonomics talk about this how like it's often as you say it's it's better to not buy tickets mostly and just pay the fines because of the frequency of the fines like you end up paying slightly less overall but you pay in a different way you pay in like the anxiety of worrying about getting caught and so if you can be completely comfortable with that it's cheapest in most situations, unless the fine's astronomical and the feet, like the ticket price is very low, it's cheapest to just never pay, pay, buy a ticket anytime. So this is if you can make peace with the anxiety. Then, with, with the you know, when you walk back to your car, I think most. Have you ever had a parking ticket? Yeah, yeah, it's awful, isn't it? I think it's like one of the worst. Like seeing something creates a feeling. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like, I, can't, I can't think of anything else actually that you like would encounter in an average week you would just I think a poo on your doorsteps quite bad so but so that's what I, that's why i specified encounter in an average week but i know that you yeah, that's maybe more normal than you it happens so much to me i think someone's got it in for me it's not a human poo i hope not well if you had to guess to, to be honest what i think's happened is one dog pooed on my doorstep and then loads of other dogs smell it and try and poo on top of it I'm not sure whether pooing, dog pooing, is like pattern based. I know dog weeing is definitely pattern based, but that's a that's a, that's a hell, of yeah. a hell of a tangent. But yeah, so um, tickets so, operating Egypt. Yeah, so I guess the topic of today we're going to try and we. I was asked this actually the other day on a call. Like two things: one, is it still a good time to go online? 
And two, will the fitness industry just never be the same again as a result of this? Now, obviously, we aren't like the fitness industry oracles, but I suppose we've we've seen. Well, as far as I know, maybe we are. I suppose if you're the oracle, do you know that you're the oracle? Maybe not. Oh, um, that's it. Um, <laughs> we've seen a decade of the of the industry online, especially so. And there's been nothing so disruptive no. as this year. Um, mm. There's a few kind of identifiable patterns, I think, that will change the course of stuff if we can extrapolate them. So the first one is obviously people realising that um, you can you can work from home and that the output of certain companies doesn't have to drop that much to, to work from home. So people instantly have more comfort being at home they've got more locational freedom they're able to work with for any for any uh, any uh, company in any country and therefore live where they want to so in london that used to be like the place to be everyone wanted to be in london whereas now it's just a really expensive rent place where everyone sits in their house and no one socializes so it completely has flipped that on its head at the same time the delivery economy has gone through the roof contactless payments um zoom calls or zoom classes um so i think all of these will will culminate in like a big shift in the structure of kind of one-to-one pt yeah and i think all of those things were happening anyway but just at a much slower rate so i think things were gradually becoming more digitized right like a lot of a lot of companies were, uh, you know, it, it, we've all heard that seen the headlines of like Silicon Valley company uh, uh, goes completely remote or allows people a limited holiday and, and can work wherever. And I knew people prior to any of this who were working in living in Newcastle, but their job was in London because they only needed to be down there one or two days a week or one or two days a fortnight. And so you're right, like that, I mean, that starts changing property prices and preferences for where you live and the economy in, in like the regions rather than the capital cities and all, all sorts of things like major shifts. Um, more people end up living like out in the middle of nowhere, just with a really good fiber Wi-Fi connected fiber internet connection. And you just can live your life as normal. Um, but I did a, I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago um, where I pulled up some just like, I mean, I don't know how accurate this is, but I suppose like it's the, the, the numbers are big enough where you kind of get the picture. So some people basically, looked at or to to uh, statista.com and alliedmarketresearch.com did two like collections of data on social media usage and um the virtual value of the virtual fitness market over the next seven years five to seven years so statista.com estimate that um now in 2020 there are 3.6 billion social network or social media users and that's numbers set to climb to 4.4 billion by 2025 which is like for a number that's already pretty big to go up by another billion or so. Thing is, I, I can totally believe that because he, even people who didn't work out or didn't train before have started this year, either to improve that's their history. health or to, to stop themselves going, going mental, you know, being in, you, you never used to, or if you used to see someone like doing jump squats in the park on their own before this year, you'd be like a bit of a weirdo. Whereas now you're like, oh, standard lockdown activity. That was just social media usage. Social media, okay. So, <laughs> but that, well, so hold on. I'll, I'll say the second thing, and that supports what you've just said. So the forecasted value of the virtual fitness market 
In 2019, it was valued roughly at six billion. By 2027, it was for, it's forecast to be 59 billion in valuation. I thought you said the virtual fitness market before as well was. So the, those are the two stats. Like, right. The first one's just social media usage, and then that one is the is the value, the forecasted estimated value of just so virtual 4, fitness. Four billion users of social media by 2025. Yeah. Um, right. Which and, is like take that as a fraction of the world's population. Fairly major. Yeah, it is. And then if you look at um, if a company like Apple are investing into like that, what is it just called Apple Fitness? Oh, I don't know. There's Apple Health, isn't there? But Apple Fitness may be something else. I don't know. So they're they're launching like a Netflix for for health, basically, or for Netflix for fitness. Um, so group. I didn't know that. Yeah, group streamed classes and that kind of thing. Like you know that if they're putting some cash behind it, they'll have done a little bit of research. It's probably going to be quite good, isn't it? If Apple are launching something, it's quite rare that they launch something that's terrible. Apart from the HomePod. By oh. all accounts. Did you have a HomePod? I didn't, but when I was weighing them up, you're just very restricted. Can't use Spotify with it. Mm-hmm. I think Spotify is better than Apple Music, and that dictates that the Alexa, for now, is better than a HomePod. But anyway. Um, in the background. Boom. Hello. How can sorry? I help you? No, Alexa. Order one. MacBook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's like a 33% growth every year for the next six or seven years. And I think these stats... Firstly, like before anyone's listening and thinks that's wrong, like I don't know whether it's exactly right, but anything that's going from six billion to sixty billion, you know, probably it's not the the other way around, right? Like it's probably <laughs> there's a trend there, and we're talking six years, seven years, not a very long time. Um, and as Yusuf's saying, if that that was prior to COVID, right, and then all that's happened basically is suddenly everyone's been going to a gym and then can't and personal trainers have been operating a certain way and then can't like these, there's just been a jump in, right? Everyone has to, they're forced to look for an alternative. It's, it's the same as like someone getting a bit of um, bad news about their health and suddenly they change their lifestyle forever. And you know, they, they give up smoking. They no longer eat a certain way. They're never overweight again. Similar sort of thing. Like it's a, it's just been a bit of a, a warning sign I think for people that, we need to do something differently. That's a really good point because that's a change in mindset where people are now taking ownership of the health and often, like, obviously home gym equipment just sold out constantly all year. And like, never had an industry been so unprepared for like such a sudden surge in demand. And you can't just ramp up your demand of squat racks very quickly. Um, so I wanted, I wanted two five kilo plates right that's all i wanted <laughs> because i just because I, I i bought these like dump like a plate loaded dumbbells and the downside of them that just the handles is all i bought the downside of them is you need lots of plates that are the same size to make them work and i just cannot get five kilo plates so you're just using the olympic plates on a little dumbbell <laughs> <laughs> wielding it around so what what's happened there is that people are training at home and suddenly the shift goes from wanting a trainer to wanting a coach because now home training is entirely self-motivated. It requires so much more um, discipline than going to a gym because you're near your house, you're in a comfortable place. Like you could just sit on the sofa or just go to the next room and 
you don't have to think about it anymore. Whereas if you've packed your bag and gone to the gym, it's a separate building, you've made a ritual around it and you're actually quite far away from home, so you may as well train. And so building the discipline and the programming and everything to, to train at home and do it yourself has a lot generates a lot more demand for the aspects of a coach that previously were undervalued. Objectivity, accountability and information. Mm. Hey guys, I just wanted to jump on here quickly and tell you a bit about my experience working with the guys at Propane. So earlier this year, I decided to transition career to online coaching, um, but honestly had no idea where to begin. I thought I needed to have a couple of thousand followers on Instagram, uh, be posting on social media every day. And that was basically the way to be a successful online coach. But I am so glad that I found the Propane Business course. And when I had the opportunity to do it, I jumped straight on it. And it, it's, it's honestly been a godsend. I would be lost without it. Um, Johnny and Yusuf basically show you how to build an online fitness business from scratch or anywhere where you are in your journey. Um, they give you all the tools and the knowledge that you need to succeed as an online coach. Um, and you know, without them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even thought of some of the things that they teach you how to do. So it's, it's been amazing. And after just a few months of working with them, I am ready to quit my full-time job, um, and fully transition, uh, into online coaching, which I am really excited about. And I'm, I'm really excited to apply everything that they've, they've taught me and, and see where I can take my business. So if you are on the fence about doing this, I know it's a big investment and it, it seems quite scary, but it is 100% worth it. You will uh, make all the money back. You will get so much out of it. Um, and yeah, I definitely recommend. I think the, um, like, the, you know, if you speak to sort of our parents, or like people who are 10, 20 years older than us, where a good chunk of their life did not include a phone, right? Or a good chunk of their life did not include like social media, for example. So I think, how old are we? It's, we probably had social media in our lives for half of our lives, roughly. Um, so if you imagine it's been a quarter of your life or a tenth of your life, the importance, the weighting you give to like, how oh, everything's going online is fairly minimal because your experience has been well it's not been online for that long so it's unlikely to complete i'm unlikely to be unemployed because of the internet right whereas someone who's <laughs> someone who's 20 perhaps who's had maybe always had facebook for as long as they've had access to the internet they've had facebook and instagram maybe they start to to buy into it a little bit more but i think realistically like over the last 10 years we've seen the online market because I, I can remember our first online clients in fitness not understanding what or, or even realizing that you could get coaching online and that it was this like weird thing and a lot of the objections we had were explaining that to people whereas now people are like shopping for a different online coach yeah it's gone from a market which wasn't product aware to whether well, they were problem aware but they weren't product mm -hmm. aware and now now they're solution aware and they're looking for the specific person yeah. so um yeah yeah I, I remember having those conversations of like oh so basically what it involves is like and they're like what so do you come to my house and, you know no no 
<laughs> and so what do you tell me what to eat and like well kind of but <laughs> whereas yeah. now it's like what's the price i'm looking for a coach that does xyz and in a way that's great because there's so many more people are now open to hiring a coach not just the people who were on the fringes of um the gym culture and were really um really into this and being very metric focused yeah. um yes it does mean that there's more supply in the market too so you've got more people to compete with but luckily the the suppliers in the market a lot of them are not very serious a lot of them follow um just quite crap methods um and they're doing you a favor by raising the awareness of the the entire industry so you can definitely forge out niche and um take a piece of that pie yourself if you do it properly the thing that's so interesting about um that specific argument of like oh it's um it's saturated right or like there's too many coaches is no one ever says that about becoming an offline pt you know like it's i'd say it's more saturated as an offline pt yeah like the the people who are worried about oh i don't want to start coaching online because everyone's doing it right those are the same people who were absolutely fine going and getting that level three pt and going and working at the local nuffield health I'm, i'm not criticizing that it's just that that's a comfortable decision because you think well there's people in the gym, so I'll get clients, right? It's, you know, the, and, oh, well, I know there's competition, but there's only a few people in that, but it's, everything's just shrunk down so that you, you only see a few people and you think, oh, well, there's only a few gyms. There's only a few PTs. So I'll be able to get my 10, 20 clients. Like, yeah, but exactly the same thing occurs when scaled up. And if, if there's even more opportunity, because now it's not like, well, the UK is in lockdown, so I can't get clients. It's like, well, the UK is in lockdown, but New Zealand isn't. Australia isn't. I don't yeah. think. Or at least it is. I don't think it is at the time of, of us recording this. But I think um, the, the the mental model that you're talking about there is something you spoke about on episode, probably about 20 episodes back now, called why doing online Zoom workouts is a waste of time. <laughs> and the, the the model is not updating the parameters according to what you're doing. So looking at, the the what what are the parameters of this year and things have changed and being like oh no but that's newfangled nonsense i'm going to stick to my good old trusty method and not updating that all that's going to happen is you get overtaken mm. so yeah it's like um we were saying on i think on the last episode people saying like uh oh, uber no no that that will never catch on that i'm i'm not interested in this you're like okay like you don't you know no one's forcing you to join uber but very soon you you know if you're an early adopter then you do better but if not you just get squeezed out of the market yeah like if you're finding yourself saying that won't work or that doesn't work and yet there is evidence of it working (laughs) then you're probably wrong right like it's just your opinion so you you hold on to the idea that online coaching is not as good as offline coaching um, or you can't deliver the same service offline. Um, it like it, it, they're two. They are two separate things. Absolutely, like the sort of person who wants an online coach is sometimes pretty different. Than the sort of person who wants an offline coach doesn't mean the service is invalid. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's just a case that that's the way things are moving. Like a lot of the data suggests that that's how things are moving. So if you don't get on board with it, 
you're taking the risk that you'll be like less relevant, less and less relevant as the markets change and move. It doesn't mean um, which you is have to do one or the other either. Like we, we work with so many people who have um, one foot in both. They still have a set number of um, one-on-one in-person clients that they, they love and work with and have done for years. And they maybe operate a boutique gym or a studio, but they still have exposed themselves to the upside of online coaching as well. A lot of people get a lot of satisfaction from working in person with people and there's no there's no harm in that. It certainly um, makes you enjoy your enjoy your life more than kind of sat behind a laptop. But by by cutting off the option, you know, you you're exposing yourself to twice the risk and half the opportunity. So it's it's the equivalent of um the free weights versus machines argument being like oh no free weights are best and machines are rubbish or like only machine it's like well no one's stopping you doing both yeah yeah it, yeah it's i think when people like resist something that's that's happening like this they resist the market changing it usually it's just because it's, it's scary and they don't understand how it works and if you spent 20 years perfecting a skill as being an offline PT and someone's coming along and saying, um, actually I can do this online. I can help this person online for, for less, for half the price of what you charge in a month. That's frightening. And so people react by like lashing out and criticizing and saying, you know, everyone, everyone doing this is a scammer and all that sort of stuff. It's the same way that like, um, when people don't like lockdown, there's always a percentage of people who like, criticize everybody else criticize the government criticize the decisions because that's their way of like you know i don't maybe understand all of it but i understand that these people are evil and if i just if that's the narrative i believe then it goes into a neat box and yeah well there's no room for nuances that it's it's kind of the um you see it a lot with so that yeah that and again the the solution to that is to hold your opinions lightly and to look at the data and not to kind of make things binary. Um, you usually see when people post about stuff or they quote a study about something or they, whatever, it's usually that they just pick a, one study out. So I've seen it a lot with masks recently, people posting um, the, the one, the Danish observational study about masks not working and being like, oh, see, it's all rubbish. And you're like, okay, you've you've picked one study out of the, the large body of evidence and it's the one that supports your view the most. Could it be that you were, you had a pre-existing view and then you looked for the thing which supported it? Yeah. Yeah. And and people always look for, like, especially now more than ever, like they're looking for a really convoluted conspiracy theory to explain what's happening when, when actually maybe it's just the simplest version, which is there's a, there's a virus and we're all kind of not really sure what to do. So people kind of maybe get things wrong sometimes or, <laughs> yeah, the policy setters aren't on flawless people are just people reacting to the information like we we've always known that they're incompetent like that's not it's not news yeah yeah and like the the other thing as well is i've always felt this you know when people criticize like a ceo of a company or they criticize or a footballer or i could have made that call yeah. <laughs> especially like you know they'll see like a, a banker on the news and criticize them for example, or like criticize a CEO of a big business that, that makes a decision. 
And it's like, you've got no idea how many like variables that person has to take into consideration when making a decision. Like it's really simple in your world of like, I don't like being at home and wearing a mask, but like there's probably quite a bit to it. I would expect. <laughs> but anyway, the, 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 the more I read into it, the more complicated I realize it is and how little I understand about the whole thing. Like from an epidemiological perspective, you're an actual um, doctor and, I, and I'm an actual doctor, but luckily there's a there's a bunch of, I've I've been on Twitter recently and there's a bunch of health gurus who are clearly dual trained in virology and epidemiology and they they've got all the answers so thank god yeah thank god they'll they'll save us well, if it wasn't for them <laughs> yeah with, with their Gumroad ebooks and stuff like they'll they'll get us out of this mess well, like even if you, so if you take like the I suppose the medical side of it that's complicated then take like the statistical side of it that's complicated then take the financial side really complicated then on top of all of that, it's like the psychology of what a mass of people do when you tell them to do something. <laughs> and you've got, to, you've got to take all of those things into account and go, do this. Ah. <laughs> 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 and you do it and inevitably not everyone's going to go, oh, what a great decision. My business is ruined. What a great decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway. So state of the fitness industry, I think it's, it's kind like, I know this is going to seem biased because obviously we help people do this, but I think to not be looking at this year and saying, so if you're sat there thinking it's all right, it'll all go back to normal. Even if the kind of the infrastructure goes back to normal, like gyms reopen, everything's completely as it was. I think there's been a jolt in the market that will never, it will never move back again. Right. Because there are, there are cheaper, easier, more convenient alternatives that people have been forced to look at, whether they're a trainer who are, who is saying, right, well, I don't have to pay rent anymore. I don't have to commute anymore. I can coach everyone from home. And that's now your competition, right? Or there's your clients are saying, well, I was paying you 30 pounds an hour, but I can pay this person a hundred quid a month and get like the same result. You know, that that's the landscape, whether you, whether that like upsets you or you don't like that or not that just is what is happening. So I think to not move online in some way or to have a foot in the door in online is just a little bit short-sighted. Yeah, the the market's never going to contract back to its previous size, even if it contracts a bit. If, you know, if whatever whatever happens completely, you know, they they find some cure that just eradicates any transmission of it. It's not going to like so many things have been shaken up. Yeah, we won't be back to normal unless like also, the breaks. I suppose there's always that. What the internet? Someone unplugs the internet. Oh, if someone unplugs the internet, I'll be so annoyed. Um, but yeah, the <laughs> the uh, that's thrown me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's when you start thinking like, could someone unplug the internet? Like, maybe. What, what is the internet? <laughs> There's a sketch from the IT crowd where they um, they introduce the internet to this room full of people who are like all over sixty, and he, and he says like, right guys, I'm really excited to reveal this to you today. We're very privileged to have under this cloth the internet. And I was like, oh, and and he goes, okay, are you ready? And he unveils this thing. It's like a little box with a with a little dial, and everyone's like, oh my god, it's the internet. And he's like, do not break. If anyone stands on this or knocks it off the table, 
it's, it will cause world chaos. And then someone like accidentally knocks it off and people start like just rioting in the room. And they're like, no, 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 it wasn't really the internet. It was a joke. But people have just lost it by that point. Um, so yeah, to, to come back to your point, like, yes, we are biased because we, we help PTs grow in the, in the online fitness industry, but also we're not biased because we are in the online fitness industry. We, we continue to coach clients online and we sell information products in fitness. And so if we felt like things were going to nosedive, we would be the first people to, to bail. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think like one of the nice things about online is, um, it makes you fairly like you can, you can operate in a fairly flexible way. You know, if you decide that actually, um, I, I don't want to work with anyone in the UK anymore. No problem. Right. Or like, I want to start working with this specific niche, uh, athletic population. No problem. Whereas previously, like if you're an offline coach and you want to do anything like that, really, it's just subject to, well, are there enough people in my city who are that? And then if it's like, well, I'm going after the, there's a thousand people in my city who are that, are there other coaches doing that? And suddenly that's when, you know, it gets more and more complex. So, you know, even, even if, even if you're sat there thinking like online's not, doesn't seem like it's going to be as, as lucrative as these guys are suggesting, even if it's just as lucrative as what you're doing now, there's still more flexibility in the way that it operates and there's more options in the way that you can run it as well. Well, the, in, in terms of the people that we, we work with, there are people who have just gone, uh, they've taken the rocket and they've gone full-time online making three, four, five times as much as they were with their day job. Mm-hmm. But then there's people who really enjoy their day job and they just want to have a side hustle that is low low effort and gets you know, make, makes them some money and often matches their salary or contributes to it. Um, and then you've got people who still own a gym and still want to do that, but want to have another arm to the business. So it's about how you want to set up your life. And, um, if you're looking, as you said, to only work with people in a certain location so that you can then travel and stay within certain time zones, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's it. There we go. Okay, bye, Dan. Okay, bye, Dan. I can't find the button to stop recording. Here we are. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, 
why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode. Thank you.